You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Praise the Lord, everybody. So glad to be with you this Wednesday night. Thank you for joining us again here at CTK. And we miss you. Hope you are having a great week, a blessed week. No, this has been a little bit different, not being together in person, but looking forward to seeing you again soon. So tonight is our midweek uh, Bible teaching, and uh, we're in a great series, uh, a study of Romans chapters 12 through 16. And uh, I want to invite you just to get your Bibles, get a notebook, get a pen, uh, get something you can take notes on here. And uh, we're going to look at the Word of God and see what God's Word Uh, says for us, gives us instruction for this time right now. I think it's more relevant today than at any time before. And so we're looking at harmony, God's plan for community. Now to help you out, we have a little uh, outline here that we've provided and you can go to the Facebook page, the main CTK Facebook page. And if you get to the main Facebook page, you scroll down and there will be options. You can scroll over to see videos, photos. If you keep scrolling, there's one that says notes and under notes, we have this posted, this little handout, which just gives a spot for the 22 main points in this series study with the correlating scriptures here for you. And so that could be helpful if you need to refer back to that. Um, But many of you may have your handouts and you can follow along with us. If you don't have a handout and you don't have a pen or paper, that's all right. You can come back to this. We're going to have the scriptures on the screen, so we're going to get into this together. I want to pray, though. I want to take a moment and have a word of prayer, if we can, together for our church families and uh, everyone uh, that we are not able to see this week and those that we still haven't been able to see through this pandemic. And I know the Lord's going to bless us. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me if you do that right now. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you together for your spirit and your word. I thank you for your promises and your blessings. And I ask right now that your Holy Ghost would be upon each and every member of our church, every person that's signed in to view online here today. And I pray that your blessing would be with them. Let our faith be in you, in your word, in your purpose, in your presence. And Lord, I ask this in your mighty name, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to say thank you to the team that is here with me. You heard from our own brother Zarita, just greeting you and opening this up. And then we've got a few others of the crew that are here helping us as well. So thank you to our faithful uh, workers and laborers here. Let's go to Romans chapter number uh, uh, 12. And uh, what we'll be looking today, we'll be beginning at chapter number 13, actually. But this series, Harmony, God's Plan for Community, is actually a study in Romans chapters 12 through 16. This is a topical series, and uh, but it, it is all taken from this passage in Romans. And the Lord laid these points on my heart one day as I was just reading my Bible, and I pulled out my pen, I started seeing things, started writing these down, went back. And 22 main points Paul gives us for how to deal with community, how our relationships, let's say, with one another uh, are impacted three times 
in the New Living Translation, he uses the word harmony. Uh, live in harmony with each other. Let us aim for harmony in the church and live in complete harmony with each other. That, that was sort of his theme here. And so we've already covered the first 11 points. Real quickly, I'm going to recap those with you. The first point, beginning in Romans chapter 12, and verses 9 and 10 was this, really love people. You've just got to, to love people. Don't let it just be something that you say. Number two was practice help and hospitality. Practice hospitality with people. Number three, bless your persecutors. This is probably one of the hardest things to do in the human life. Uh, can't do it without the presence of the Lord, but this was Paul writing this, who was a former persecutor of the church and a person that was presently persecuted. So he was writing from authority on that subject. Number four, enjoy the company of saints. So don't just say, oh man, I have to do this. Let this be something that you truly grow to love. Number five, don't be a know-it-all. I think that one's self-explanatory. Number six, Take no revenge. Don't let revenge be the motivation of your life. Number seven, work to live in peace with everyone. And what that means is every single person. Don't compartmentalize who you're trying to have peace with, but labor, strive for that. Number eight, submit to authorities. We unpacked that this past week. Number nine, pay your taxes. Um, that's something that we all don't necessarily enjoy doing, but there's a responsibility. And not only did Christ admonish us this, but Paul does as well. Number 10, don't withhold payments on debts. If you borrow something, pay it back. Don't, uh, uh, don't be a thief in that way. It's going gonna, it's gonna to mess up your relationships. Number uh, 11, I think we're at number 11, love alone solves problems. If you just focus on love, loving people, loving people, I know that's super simple. Um, it's going to solve a whole host of problems. So the problems comes when we put ourselves first and we become selfish instead of selfless. So love, what is love? Well, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for a friend. Paul told him later on, he said, husbands, love your wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What, what was his extension of the definition of love? Giving to the point that it may cost you everything, but you do it because you're selfless, not selfish. And so selfishness is truly probably the thing that causes all the problems we have relationally. Okay, so tonight we are going to begin at point number 12. So we're going to pick up here, and we're going to Romans chapter number 13, verse number 13. So Romans chapter number 13, verse number 13, together we have this. Paul says, let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. And he says this, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and, and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Amen. Let's go back to verse number 12 here before this. And he says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of of light. So we're casting off darkness. Look at what it says in verse 13 in the New Living Translation. It says, because we belong to the day, 
We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. So point number 12 is simply this. Don't participate in darkness. Don't participate in darkness. Paul says that when we do this, it's, go, it's going to have an effect on our relationship. Look, look at what the New Living Translation said. Don't participate in darkness. And then he gives three things, three categories, wild parties and drunkenness. Okay. We understand that sexual promiscuity and immoral living. Okay. We understand that. And then he says here as well in quarreling and jealousy, Now, wait a minute. So Paul is pairing together wild parties, drunkenness, sexual immorality, promiscuity, together with quarreling and jealousy. So, you know, we can check the first two boxes. Say, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm I'm not doing this one. Not, Not involved in that. And yet there can be a spirit of quarreling and a spirit of jealousy. These are the subtle things of the heart that manifest in ugly ways. And, and if we're checking two of those boxes and we say, Hey, God, I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm okay. Paul says you are still participating in darkness. Why is it that in our human experience, we look down on someone that is involved in sexual immorality. We look down on someone who's in fault, involved in drunkenness and wild parties. And we think we're better And all the while, we could be trapped in a quarrel. We could be trapped in jealousy. We could be trapped in strife. And Paul says that that is a work of darkness. Now, obviously, the first two, it's an obvious thing. We don't want that in the church. But too often, we allow, we tolerate the third thing. If the first two were involved in the church, people would be raising red flags. They'd be throwing a fit. We'd be going to prayer. Why don't we go to prayer Why don't we stand up and say, I'm not going to involve with that. I'm going to separate. I'm going to distance myself from that. I mean, I distance myself. You distance yourself from those first two things, or so we ought to willingly. We also should distance ourselves from quarreling and from jealousy. When you involve yourself or attend to these things, you become part of the darkness of the world. This is what Paul is telling us. You become part of the darkness of the world. So don't participate in darkness. Maybe the reason why there's no harmony at times in the home, in the relationships, in the church is because we've checked the obvious boxes and we let the other things creep in, sometimes unaware. Sometimes we invite them in. Number 13, let's go to the next one. Number 13, let's look at Romans, two verses here. We're going to look at Romans 14 and 1 and also Romans 15 and 7. Romans 14 and 1, Paul says this here in Romans 14 and 1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Romans 15 and 7 says it this way, Wherefore, Receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. In the New Living Translation, I like the simplicity that puts it here, Romans 14 and 1, it says, Accept other believers who are weak in the faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Let's just pause there for a moment. (laughs) Except other believers who are weak in the faith 
and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. This is an interesting, interesting verse because sometimes we can use the other admonishments, earnestly contend for the faith, uh, uh, you know, to fight for the faith, to be beware of false doctrine and false prophet, prophets. And we can almost, if we're not careful in our spirit, take the truth as a battering ram against other people that Paul says are believers, but they are weak in the faith. What does it mean by the weakness in the faith? That means they, they there are still misunderstandings. They're still not depth of understandings that maybe they have over everything. So Paul was dealing in the New Testament church. He's dealing with people who had come out of Judaism, let's say, and they, they were held fast to their traditions, which were great teachers and examples, but they were not the fulfillment. And sometimes they were trying to impose that in the church. There were other people who, who were following Christ, believed in Christ, had received his spirit, but yet they didn't have the fullness of all these understandings. And there were contentions in the church. There was a lot of things. This was a, this was a volatile time, uh, uh, uprisings. People were going, getting the Holy Ghost, getting baptized. And, and they hadn't had years and decades of study. You're, you're combining those that had been raised in a tradition of the law and the word of God, the word and the prophets, the law and the prophets. And, and people that were Gentiles that had been raised on mythologies that did not understand, that believed in uh, uh, an uh, innumerable amount of gods. And now they were coming to one God and they didn't understand everything. And as they were coming, Paul says, as you're working these things out, should you contend for the faith? Yes. Should you strive for truth? Yes. And that's why he put limitations. A man cannot be a man or a woman, a person cannot be a, a, a teacher in the church. They cannot be a leader in the church. They cannot be a shepherd. They cannot be a bishop unless they are, as he said, apt to teach, not a novice. So when Paul qualifies that, he, he is putting parameters. So he's, he's acknowledging the distinctions. But here he says, except other believers who are weak in the faith. Just because someone hasn't come to the fullness of, of, of the depth of the knowledge of truth and the love of God does not mean that it gives us justification that we can take what we know as a battering ram, ram to them. And Paul even goes so far to say, don't argue with them over what they think is right or wrong. Don't let certain things uh, become an argument, you know, arguments, debates. I know people that love debates and sometimes I, I enjoy debates, but debates often fail in this. It's two people trying to force their view or their way of thinking uh, upon each other. And what we do when we approach the word is we should never come forcing our human opinion. We come to the word of Christ crucified. We crucify our flesh. We crucify ourselves. We crucify everything. And we come to the word and we say, we let the word stand on its own. We, we don't need to be forcing, uh, uh, you know, to be, I'm right. My church is right. My denomination is right. My, my organization is right. We, we don't need to be coming with that approach. We need to be coming saying the word of God is right. Here's what I see and what I know about the word of God. But maybe I, maybe there's more for me to learn. Maybe there's more for me to understand. When you have that approach, it takes a loving approach because it's not a personal attack. It's, hey, let's let the word of God stand in our life. And maybe some people don't see it yet. Maybe some people aren't to that point. He uses the analogy of milk for babes and meat for adults. You wouldn't, you wouldn't give your newborn baby a steak. 
No, they've got to grow into those things. Now, ultimately, if they never progress past the milk stage, they're going to be lacking. They're, they're going to be anemic. There's, there's, there's going to be a lack of nutrients and proteins and things that they need in their life. And spiritually, they're going to be immature. And, and uh, if there is never maturity in the life, that's an unhealthy stage. It's not sustainable. So there has to be maturity. So I'm not excusing weakness. Paul is not, he's not excusing it. He's not dismissing it. And he's not saying uh, that there doesn't need to be maturity. No, he gives strong admonishments elsewhere. But what he says is don't use this as a battering ram. Don't beat somebody over the head. Don't let this bring discord. Find what you can find the common ground. Hey, you're a believer. I'm a believer. You've come to the cross. I've come to the cross. You've been filled with the spirit. I've been spilled, filled with the spirit. You've been, you've been entered into covenant in the body of Christ through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. I've entered into covenant. Paul in Acts chapter 19, when he comes to the church at Ephesus, he, he finds people who have never heard about Jesus. All they know is they were disciples of John the Baptist. And John was a forerunner of Christ. And Paul comes to them and he lovingly does something that'll change your life. He comes to them and he says, have you received the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit since you believed? I love that because Paul did not marginalize the belief that they had and the truth that they were walking in, but he also invited them to something that was greater. You haven't received the Holy, you haven't received the promise. This is what Paul, this is what, uh, this is what John was talking about. So you've got to say, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And so he compliments them. He promotes them. He validates their belief and their faith in God to the measure and the extent that it exists but he invites them to something greater. That's a total different thing than showing up and saying, you're wrong, you're incomplete. I, I, let me tell you everything that you need to know. No, he comes in a different disposition. When he did that, they said, no, we haven't even heard about the Holy Ghost. What are you talking about? He said, well, John, John was the forerunner of Christ. And he goes on and he begins to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in that moment, because their hearts were right and they were hungry towards the Lord, the Bible says they gladly received the word and were baptized. And that day, the Holy Ghost fell upon them and they received the same experience experience that Paul had, that the same experience that had happened on the day of Pentecost, and it was a beautiful thing. So don't argue about what is right. In the New Living Translation, Romans 15 and 7 says it this way, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. God will be given the glory. This is not about me. This is not about our church. This is not about um, who the preacher is that teaches it, you know. Well, I grew up under this person or I grew up under that person. Paul says, look, you're coming and you're saying I'm of Apollos and I'm of, I'm of Paul and I'm of, I'm of Jesus and all these things. He said, first of all, there's no celebrity Christianity. You should look at us, literally, he says, as mere servants. This is all for God's glory. And so when I come to tell somebody about baptism in Jesus' name, when I'm approaching somebody to tell them about the infilling of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in the tongues, when I'm coming to teach somebody and talk to somebody about living a mature life of holiness in spirit, and outwardly in, in a, an example where you can be salt and light in the earth. I'm not teaching that so I can get the glory. I'm teaching that because I know that there's blessing and benefit for that in their walk with God, their walk with Christ. So accept other believers. Let's go to number 14. Now, here we go. He says, uh, we already, we already had this interpreted in the new living translation. Don't argue with them in Romans 14 and two in the King James version, Romans 14 and two and three. Let's read this for one believeth that he may eat all things. 
Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. So here Paul is talking about things that had entered in the church. Here's two examples he gives. And, and the one instance he has, um, uh, there's two places. He goes on later and says, One man may esteem one day, in verse 5, over another, and another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. The two examples Paul gives is what they eat, dietary, uh, things that people had included as part of their faith. And the second thing was the observing of special days. And so obviously uh, in Judaism and the Mosaic law, there were, there were strict dietary regulations. Those were for the children of God's health. Um, you go back to the time of where they were living, their diet would have drastically separated them, not only their diet, but the way they prepared food, the way they did food, uh, the way they cooked food, it would have been drastically different from the other nations and gatherings of people that were around them. But it was primary for, primarily given to them by God, not only for their health, for their health, so that they would not have disease and other things, but also to set them apart and to show them that when you follow the ordinances and the pathways of God, you are going to be healthy, healthier, stronger. You're going to be better. You're going to be more prosperous. And so God had given that to them. In the New Testament, we come and Paul says the law was just an example. It was a foreshadow. It was never meant to be something that would bind us. And so now we have Christian liberty in Christ. Well, as he's talking about this, there are new Gentiles who, man, they don't know anything about living the traditions of the law. And so they are uh, and they're used to eating all kinds of things. And so now, you know, the very example God gives with Peter, where he gives him a vision, says, take, kill, and eat. Three times the vision comes to him. Paul, uh, Peter says, uh, I can't eat what's, what is unclean. Lord, I've never defiled myself. And, and, and the Lord Jesus speaks to him in the vision and says, do not call unclean what I have cleansed. And it was example, letting him know that now, God has, I've presented my word, I've presented my spirit through the people of Abraham, through the, the life of the Jews and the lifestyle of the Jews. But now I am breaking out to all Gentiles and the spirit and the promises for whosoever. And so Paul is admonishing them. He's saying, look, listen, in the church, it's okay if you eat meat. And there's other people that say, you know what? I'm going to be so, I feel a conviction. I'm not going to eat any meat. I'm just going to eat herbs. I'm just going to eat vegetables. I'm not going to eat any meat. And so Paul says, look, they're, they're thinking that this is helping them spiritually. He says, in re he calls them. Now, it's interesting because Paul does say here they are weak. They feel like they need to add something to this to make them stronger. And so they're, they're adding this conviction of I'm not eating meat and I'm doing this for the Lord. He said, but God sees their weakness and he sees the intent of their heart and he honors their heart. And because they say, I have this conviction that I'm not going to do this. Um, God says, I receive them and I honor them. He says, you who are strong, you who aren't bound by those things. He said, don't come. And first of all, don't look down on them. And second of all, don't be an offense to them. Don't sit in front of them and boldly say, hey, you know, don't take them out to eat. And you know that and say, I'm going to I'm going to order, you know, 
what, what, what's the big uh, porterhouse steak? I'm going to order it all. Give me the bone. Give me everything. And I'm going to slap this thing right down in front of them. Don't be offensive to them. Don't do this. Sit down and honor them. Acknowledge them. He said, for some, you honor certain days. And you say certain days are right. We, we've got to do this on certain days. We have special days. He said, for others, every day they esteem and say every day is holy. He said, God receives both. God receives both. The point is, is that you're setting aside time and you're giving things to God and you're living out your life in conviction to God that God's placing on you. But this, these items are not worth separation. So when God, now let me qualify this. There are certain things that God gives in his scripture that are non-negotiables. You can't kill. You can't lie. You can't commit adultery. You cannot be involved in sexual immorality. You cannot present yourself as a doer of those. You cannot be privy to those. There are laws of, of holiness and distinction that God has established clearly in his word that are not given, uh, 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 there's non-negotiables. It's not up for uh, interpretation. But then beyond those things, there are convictions that people can hold, people can have and say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. This is not going to be in my home. This is not going to be in my home. Well, someone else may be in a totally different uh, space, different circumstances. And for them, it's not something that impacts their faith. Now, I'm not talking about excusing the uh, uh, company of sin, that's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about other things. Like Paul says here, the eatings of meats, the observing of certain days, the, the certain things and practices and customs. And Paul says, look, don't let these things be things that separate in the church. Now, why am I spending so much time on this? Because we allow ourselves, uh, we allow ourselves to be offended by what other people do and to project convictions God puts on us on other people. So I, I have good people, good friends that I know that have certain convictions over certain things. Some of the convictions are uh, convictions of uh, um, certain clothing styles. We're not even talking about modesty and distinction. We're just talking about certain things. And they say, I, I don't do this. That's something that they feel. If I do it, it doesn't bother me. Other people have, have convictions. I know people who, who actually live out dietary convictions in their life. I know people who have convictions over other things because of what they carried in their past, their proclivities and tendencies to things. So they just totally abstain from that. It doesn't bother me at all. Does it? it doesn't affect me. And then there are things in my life that I have that are personal convictions for me. I even know people that are incredible faithful prayer warriors and people in prayer ministry. And some people, I've heard some people say, if you're not praying, if you're not setting your alarm and getting up at, you know, 5.30, 4.30, whatever, getting up early in the morning and praying first thing in the morning, then you're missing out on God. I know other people say, if you're not staying up late and praying, and you know, that, that's because they're speaking from their experience. They're speaking what happens in their life. I have a Bible here that tells me I ought to pray without ceasing. So I can't pick and choose. I can't compartmentalize. Uh, but you know, I understand what they're saying. They're saying if you do not have an intentional, practical, systematic uh, method of prayer in your life, you're not going to be you're not going to be where you need to be in the Lord. I understand that. But for somebody, it may be the first thing in the morning. Morning. Uh, but what about the mother who's just, uh, you know, who's got all these children and, and, and newborn babies? They're not sleeping at night. And, you know, maybe you don't fall asleep until 530 in the morning. Uh, is God holding something over you because you're not? No, God, you know, if your prayers at midnight, if your prayers at lunchtime, wherever it is, the point is, is that you're working out and you have your relationship with God. You're working it out in a systematic kind of way.
So uh, for other people, it may be health. You know, they, some people struggle with things and other people don't. And so they they take their health seriously because your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. When we obviously, we, 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 we don't do drugs. We don't, we abstain from the things that the Bible talks about because our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We, we don't mark ourselves. We don't do certain things. But that being said, someone may have a conviction against apple pie. Well, God bless you. I'm sorry. I don't have a conviction against apple pie, except that everybody needs a little apple pie in their life uh, once in a while. Um, but you understand what I'm saying here. Uh, for, for one, it may be different, but that's not something that we argue about. I don't come to somebody and say, well, you're not right because you're not doing this uh, the way I'm doing it. And that's not a reason to separate. We let petty things come in. And Paul just says, don't argue. The New Living Translation says it this way in uh, Romans 14, 2 and 3. For instance, one, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. Now, Paul didn't say just treat them. He says it matters how you think. Don't even look down on them. Don't even look down on them. So that's where the problem comes. It happens in our mind. Well, who do they think they are? Or how dare they? Or bless their hearts. That's not the spirit. Paul says you ought to receive them. God receives them. So, hey, that's awesome. That's fine. That's great. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can not to offend that person. And I'm going to do everything I can to love that person. In verse 3, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods, here it is, must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Have they been baptized in Jesus' name? Are they living a crucified life? Are they filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Are they following in the pathways of the Lord? Are they striving? Are they growing? Are they maturing? Those are the things that are more important, rather not than where they are. So let's, let's be careful. Let's be a, uh, a good example. Can I throw an extra verse to you, Brother Brandon? Psalms 37 and verse 8. Let's go to Psalm 37 and 8, and I'm going to throw this to him right here on the fly, and I'm going to go to the King James Version and the New Living Translation. So Psalm 37 and verse 8, because this is really powerful. Don't argue. That's the point that we are under. Psalm 37 and verse 8. Now, Paul is talking about uh, trusting in the Lord, delighting yourself in the Lord, committing your way unto the Lord. He's going to bring you in righteousness. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. He's giving you all of these things. And then in verse 8, he says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. I'm going to tell you, we live in a time where it starts off. How does Psalm 37 start off? Verse 1, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Folk, folks, we, are, we, we have anxiety at an all-time high right now because of the current status of our world and our nations and our communities. Do not let that anxiety, do not let even the frustration... Isn't this what this says? Fret not thyself because of evil do. Don't even let the frustration be projected upon you. I'm going to tell you, if anything news media is doing right now, they are not concerned. Now, you may disagree with me and you, you have a right to your own opinion, but news media is not concerned. Uh, 
with telling the news. They're trying to project things that are on you. They're trying to, they project these rage. They're not concerned with how you feel about this. They're, they're out for their own ratings. Now, I'm not saying there's not good people and, and, and people that are trying the best in their own conscious, whatever, on both sides, any side, whatever, every side. Uh, but what I'm saying is the Bible tells us, do not be frustrated because of the evildoer. Do not be jealous and envious. Uh, and that's a word from God. If you've ever needed a word from God, here it is right here. So then he says, what do you do? You trust in God, delight yourself in the Lord, uh, give everything to God. And then he comes to verse eight and says, cease from anger in the context of the frustrations of evildoers in the world. The Bible gives us direct words, cease from anger. This is, uh, Psalm 37 and verse eight and forsake wrath, fret, not thyself in any wise to do evil. Can we get that in the New Living Translation? That's Psalm 37 and 8. Let's put that up in the New Living Translation. I love this. Stop being angry. <laughs> Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. So here you go. Don't argue. Stop being angry. Just stop it. Turn to somebody and tell them, just stop it. Raise your hand and say, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Forgive me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, we're coming here to the end today. Um, I want to go one more point, and this is point 15. Point 15. Romans chapter 14 and verse 13. Romans chapter 14 and verse 13. He says this, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. In the New Living Translation, verse 13, it says this, so let's stop condemning each other. Stop it. Stop condemning each other. Stop. I need to stop this in my heart, condemning somebody else. for. If, God's give, if, if somebody else has a conviction that I don't have, don't condemn them for it. Um, maybe there is somebody out there that has a conviction against eating apple pie because for whatever reason they can't do it. I, as, as crazy as, as I, I may or may not think that is, I don't have the right or the justification to start condemning somebody over that. Maybe somebody has something where they regard a, a specific time in a day. Stop condemning each other. If they are a believer, stop condemning each other. We've got to stop doing that. And, and this will cause disunity and disharmony. Now, is the church bigger? I'm going to tell you, the church is bigger than... Uh, one local assembly, it's bigger than uh, uh, one organization. I I'm so thankful to be a part of the United Pentecostal Church in International. Of course, no organization is perfect without uh, flaws and faults, but I thank God for its mission stance, its, its, its massive growth around the world and what it's represented. But there's many, many, many other sister organizations. We, we've had many guest ministers here from other organizations and the many churches, uh, 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 that are independent, that are not affiliated with anybody, that, that are preaching the truth, loving the Word of God. And uh, that's okay. That's great because the church is bigger than an organization. And it's a good thing because we should never forget that. But too often within movements, there, there is a pulling apart, not because revival is taking place so fast that it's springing up, but because people allow a disharmony, a disunity to enter in over these issues that we're talking about. So point 15 is this, stop condemning each other. If you feel condemned every time you come to church, you're not going to come to church. Now that condemnation, 
uh, we cannot, we ought not be condemning people that come to church. Now, let me make a disclaimer here. You ought to feel conviction when you come to church. Yes. Amen. You should feel conviction when you, when you come into the presence of the Lord, there ought to be conviction. There ought to be a drawing to the spirit of the Lord. And there ought to be also a realization that, that, uh, uh, the prophet had Isaiah said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips when he was in the presence of the Lord. So conviction should be in the church, but condemnation should not. So we shouldn't condemn one another. So point 15 is stop condemning each other. And point 16 is don't cause others to stumble. Let's stop condemning each other in the New Living Translation. It says, decide, decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. That's the New Living Translation, Romans 14, verse 13. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Amen. Amen. So stop condemning each other and don't cause other people to stumble. So if I know somebody has a conviction for something, I'm not going to be a stumbling block to them. I'm, I'm going to honor them. I'm going I'm to, I'm going to strengthen them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to talk to them. I'm, I'm going to appreciate them. I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to stand in fellowship together with them. Harmony, God's plan for community. God wants us to live in harmony, not only within ourselves, our homes, our lives, our relationships, our families, but our church. This should be the aim. This should be the goal. And Satan's device in this last time is to isolate you. And the quickest way he can isolate you is for you to get offended and hurt in the church, in the family, and the body of Christ. But I'm praying against that. I'm glad that you're a part of CTK. I'm glad that you're attending. I'm glad that you're visiting. I'm glad that you're viewing. I'm glad you're watching. Come, be a part. I don't want to condemn. I'm going to preach the truth. I'm going to preach the truth in love. I'm going to preach everything. I don't want to pick and choose. I'm going to preach everything, but we're going to let the Word of God do the work. And if you've lived a crucified life and been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Spirit, I'm going to tell you, you've got more for you than you have against you. God's on your side. We're on your side. We're loving one another. We're praying for one another. We're strengthening one another. I want to live an apostolic life with a Pentecostal experience because I want to be a Bible believer. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Jesus follower. I want to be a follower of Christ. Lord, in Jesus' name right now, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your blessing. And I ask that the Holy Ghost... Give strength to each and every one at CTK. Bless every family, every marriage, every home, every household, every single parent, every individual that lives alone. I pray right now in Jesus' name, let this church, let CTK, let Christ the King Apostolic Church be a church of harmony. I know it's not going to be without effort. I know it's not going to be without prayer, without devotion. That's why we're taking time for this. But I pray, God, that there would be a harmony that comes right now. Let, let offenses fall. God, let walls be torn down. Let there be bridges built, built within our fellowship. I pray this right now in Jesus' name. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I know he's going to rise up. I know there's going to be tears sown among the weak, but God, we are your children. We are your people. And this is your church and it's for your glory in Jesus name. In Jesus name, have your way in my heart tonight. And I pray this in the name of the Lord.